This morning, we're going to continue our series entitled Majoring in the Minors. Majoring in the Minors. I remember growing up, one of the things that we would do is uh, we, we, were a, we were a game-playing family. Now, it was, it was interesting being a game-playing family. There were certain things that my certain things that my parents would allow in our household and certain things that my parents uh, wouldn't allow in our household. My dad wasn't real big on dice, right? And so for a while, whenever we had play games, games that had dice, we had to play the games. We had to use the spinner instead. And uh, so it's, it's interesting to try to play Monopoly with the spinner from the life game, right? Uh, but Monopoly was one of my favorite great games. But, but I knew that the game was not going to go well if I had to be the thimble. Seriously? Who wants to be the thimble or, 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 or the wheelbarrow, right? That, that, that's just, that's, you already know you're going to lose, right? I'm, just, I'm quitting now because I'm not going to be the thimble or, or the wheelbarrow. Now, what was, the, what was the piece to be? Come on. It was the car, right? Right? You knew there was something about being the car, all right? And if you couldn't be the car, the dog was acceptable, Right? And, 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 and maybe the hat. But the thimble, especially if you're a guy, the thimble, I just want to turn the board over right now. <laughs> then, then that first person to get either park place or boardwalk. Oh, oh. You know what's amazing about that game is this. Is, is, is as important as it was, the tears that you cried over that game, come on, confession is good for the soul. Eventually, everything went back in the box. Isn't it interesting that we get all worked up over these things that eventually go back in the box. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is writing, it is just before he is executed by Nero. It, it, it's the final recorded words that we have. And, and he, he acknowledges that. Listen, listen to what he says. He makes, this, he makes this statement in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And he says, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will appear to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul has done this well. He's focused rightly on that which truly matters. Right? Even the challenges that he faced. Paul, Paul says earlier, he says, listen, he goes, we don't worry about these issues. We don't, we don't worry about the afflictions that we have. We don't worry about the beatings we take. We don't worry about that. Why? Because our light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us a far greater glory, he writes. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And he echoes what Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6 when he says this, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things, all these things, say that with me, all these things will be added unto you. So Paul is able to say this. He's able to say, listen, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished the race. And now there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord himself, the righteous judge, will place upon me. 
But then he just, just a couple verses later, he gives us a contrast. And, 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 and listen, listen to this. He says, he says to Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, Demas, some say his name could also be Demetrius. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. God, we thank you today for your word. We ask that you would use it to challenge us, to change us. Do the work that only you can do. And God, we commit this to you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Demas. Demas is one of those individuals that is barely a footnote in Scripture. But his story, the limited amount that we know of his story, his story should echo in our heart. It should echo in our mind. It should sear our spirit. It should speak to us about the challenges, the temptations that are timeless. Because the same issue that affected Demas affects us today. The same pull that affected Demas affects us today. And it's that magnetic attraction of the things of this world. And there are two competing forces. There are two competing magnetic forces in our world, beyond the natural and the supernatural. It's, the, it's those carnal things, and it's the supernatural things. And what is going to determine which is, has the greater pull in our life is two things. Number one, the level of our affection. I want, I want to talk first about that. I want to talk about this issue of the, the level of our affection. Demas, when, when, we, when we read in 2 Timothy uh, 4.10, it's the third and final mention of Demas. He, he's mentioned first uh, in, in Colossians, it tells us this, that he, is, that he is one of the individuals who is listed and sending greeting to the, to the church of Colossae. And then, and then, and then in, in Philemon, he is mentioned as a fellow worker of Paul. Not just a fellow worker of Paul. Paul describes him as a co-worker. And, and it speaks of this, of this tremendous connection. You see, Demas, it's, it's believed this. It's believed that Demas was a young man from Thessalonica that showed great promise. Incredible ability. He, it, it, it was believed that he, that he had done some work even before connecting with Paul, that he, he had done some work as a, as a missionary. And, and, he, and he understood, he understood the principles of the kingdom. And so we find him in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we find him with Paul in Rome. Paul is there. Paul is in prison. Paul, it is, it is pretty much a foregone conclusion that Paul is about to face his final moment, that Paul is about to be executed. And it's in this time, it's in this difficulty that Demas looks at the situation of Paul and he looks at the opportunities of the world. He looks at the challenges facing the church and he looks at what the world has to offer. He, he looks at the persecution that's all around him and he looks at the seeming freedom that he sees outside of Christianity. And what does he do? Because of the love of the world, he leaves. He doesn't just leave, he abandons Paul. Paul uses the term, he deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. 
Somehow, somehow this young man that showed such great promise, somehow he massively loses his way. History does not record what happens to Demas. There are some who say that he became a, a leader in a pagan temple in Thessalonica. But here's what we do know. We, don't, we, we know this. The history doesn't shine well on him. And Paul, in his final moment, is heartbroken. How could this happen? How could a young man with such promise lose his way? Well, that's what I want to talk to you about for a few moments this morning because I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that God has a prophetic message for you. I'm convinced that God has an encouragement for you. And I'm also convinced that God has a challenge, a warning for you. Because just as in the days of the Apostle Paul, just as in the journey of Demas, we face today, friend, these two competing magnetic things. The lure of the world and the call to faith. The the desire of the temporal versus the promise of the eternal. So so how is it? How did how did Demas lose his way, and, and how is it that we so easily lose our way? Well, there are a couple of things I want to focus on this morning. The first thing I want to talk to you about is limited perspective. Notice this, that it says in 2 Timothy 4, it says, because he loved this world. See, Demas forgot that the things of life are temporary at best. They all eventually have to go back in the box. This is the reason why Jesus tells us, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where rust and moth corrupt, where thieves break in and steal. But it's so easy, isn't it? It's so easy to get caught up in the moment. It's so easy to get caught up in the stuff. It's so easy to get caught up in things. Now, let me go from preaching to meddling for a moment. It's the reason why I struggle with much of what I hear in Christian music today. I I struggle with so much of what I see in Christian theology today because it's so profoundly me-focused right? God's got a blessing for me. God's got a victory for me. God's got a breakthrough for me. God's got a miracle for me. And so much of theology today, so much of hymnology today is profoundly me-focused. And, and, and here's, here's what happens. When we shift that perspective, right? When we, when we go from looking heavenward to focusing inward, something awful happens. In the, 19, the 1980s, the church, specifically the Pentecostal church, was, was racked by several high-profile scandals. There was Jimmy Swaggart, and there was Jim Baker. One of the the close associates to Jim Baker was a gentleman by the name of Richard Dorch. Richard Dorch, prior to joining uh, PTL, he was the state director for our fellowship for the Assemblies of God, the state director in Illinois. And Richard Dorch was asked uh, after... After PTL had fallen apart, and and after Brother Dorch was tried and even sentenced to prison, he was asked, Brother Dorch, where did you go wrong? And here's what he said. He said, I took my eyes off of Jesus, and I put my eyes on PTL. It's interesting. 
Notice he didn't say, I took my eyes off Jesus and I put my eyes on money. I took my eyes off Jesus and I, I put my eye on, on, on pornography. I took my eyes off Jesus and I put my eye on women. I, I, I took my eyes off Jesus and I, I put my eyes on personal success. There are many who would think that what he made as his focus was a good thing. But it wasn't the right thing. And it's so easy for us to lose our perspective. Let let me go on record as saying this. If this place went away tomorrow and it were God's will, I'm good with it. I'm, I'm good with it. Because there is nothing in this world that can compare to the presence of Almighty God in our life. And, and, and here's what we can be confident of. His promises, those over 7,000 promises in the Word of God, He keeps every last one of them. And so I serve a God who has no need, right? So God doesn't need this building to meet, meet, meet my need. God doesn't need your job to meet your need. God doesn't need this stuff. He spoke the word and the world came into order. But it's so easy for us to get this skewed perspective, right? It's so easy in the moment to get caught up with the fact that we're the thimble and not the car. And all of a sudden, that emotion starts to build up, right? That that frustration starts to build up. Perspective is lost. And we grab the board and we toss everything over, making an absolute mess. Over something that is so silly. Friend, I appreciate that you're here today and in the game of Monopoly, you did not get Boardwalk or Park Place. I can appreciate that. I can appreciate today that as you, as you sit in this place and, and you look around the room and it seems like everyone else has houses and hotels and you're sitting on a couple railroads and the electric company. Are you ready? It doesn't really matter. Right? Because it's light. It's momentary. It all eventually goes back in the box. But we get this skewed perspective which warps our understanding. Here's what Paul said in Romans 8. He says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is revealed to us. Listen, if Demas had to endure persecution even to the point of violence and death, it was small in comparison to the length of eternity. And, And Paul saw the big picture. Right? That's the reason why he could write to the church of Corinth, for our present troubles are quite small and they won't last very long in comparison to eternity. It's too bad that Demas didn't think about that. You know what? It's tragic that sometimes we forget about that. We lose this issue of perspective, and we lose this issue of perspective because of a lack of depth. It's this issue of depth, right? Here's what it says in 2 Timothy 4. It says this, that because he loved this world, he has deserted me. Now, 
The, the, the Greek verb that's used in the original, it implies not only had, had, had Demas left Paul, but he had left him in the lurch. Demas abandoned Paul in a time of great need. Why? Because of a lack of depth. Here's, here's what I'm confident of. Are you ready? I'm confident that your life is going to have seasons. And there are times that you're going to feel that you're on top of the world. And there are times you're going to feel that the world is on top of you. Sometimes that's going to happen in the same day. Right? You're going to wake up feeling you're on top of the world. By the time you get to the end of the day, you're going to feel like the weight of the world is on top of you. And here's what you can be assured of. And we know this. Jesus taught about this, right? In, in the parable of the soils. He talks about the seed, the seed that falls on the rocky ground. Where we, where we understand the principles of God, we understand the precepts that we gain from his word. We understand them and we appreciate them. However, the cares of this world, the challenges and the frustrations of the day, what happens? It chokes out the life. And it chokes out the life. Why? Because there's a lack of depth. There's a lack of depth. Friend, one of, one of the keys to living a life that's balanced, living a life that's fruitful, living a life that's stable over the long term is this issue of depth. Depth. There are, there are inevitable moments in life that are going to require you to call upon depth a depth of courage, a depth of understanding, a depth of faith. Can I offer this to you? This is one of the reasons why it's very important that your spiritual development is not limited to the time that we have together on Sunday morning. It's the reason why at the beginning of the year we gave over, we gave over 900 chronological Bibles away because it's very important that you're in the Word yourself. It's very important that you have time of worship, that you have time of prayer, that you have time of connection, that you have a genuine holiness. Because the winds of adversity... And the struggles of life, they come. It was a year ago that I woke up on a Sunday morning. And hearing the news of the unspeakable tragedy that had, that had hit our city, I was driven to my knees and I said, God, I have to have something more than a nice sermon this morning. I have to have something to give those who will gather at Calvary. Looking for strength, looking for stability, looking for answers. And beyond that, God, your word says that you've called us to be salt and light. You've given your church a voice. And God, in the midst of this unspeakable act... We have to speak. And it's in those moments, friends, that you will have nothing to say if there's not depth 
in your relationship with God, if there's not depth in your understanding of the Word, if there's not depth in your connection with His plan. Demas had great promise. Demas had incredible potential. Demas was sharp. Demas was a guy that Paul looked to and said, this guy's going to accomplish great things. And Demas did much, but what he did was wide and not deep. And listen, it's okay to be wide. I believe this. I believe that God has called us to be wide. I want the influence of myself personally and of us collectively to be incredibly wide. I want us to reach from neighbors to nations unapologetically. But friends, we cannot do that at the expense of depth. If you've been around here at all, you've heard me say this. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And, and there's, there's, not a, there's not a day that goes by seemingly that someone doesn't say to me, Pastor, don't you think Calvary should be doing this? Don't you think Calvary should be doing this? Don't you think Calvary should be doing this? What about this ministry? What about this opportunity? What about this need? What about this challenge? And, and people want us involved in all sorts of things. You know one of the biggies that people have pushed me in uh, over the years as a pastor? People have wanted me to engage more in the, in the, in the political landscape. Right? Pastor, why don't you say more about politics? Why don't you preach more about the political issues of the day? Let me tell you why. You might want to write this down. We have a really big job in front of us. Okay? And here's what, here's what God's word says. It says, go out into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. Go and make disciples. And he, this is my promise to you, okay? My solemn promise. When the 1.9 million unchurched people in Orlando are church, we will engage in politics. It's my promise to you. Just as soon as we're done with this much greater issue, reaching our world for Christ, okay, then I'll talk to you about Democrat versus Republican. I'll get engaged in that. But listen, I don't have time for that right now because we have a world that's dying and going to a crisis eternity. And so there's something to be said about focus. Demas is there with Paul. But you know what also he sees? He doesn't just see the shackles. He sees the grandeur of Rome. He doesn't just see Paul's suffering he sees the opulence of the elite. And Demas knows this because most historians believe this, that Demas was part of the aristocracy in Thessalonica. So you see, Demas has lived the good life. He's had the stuff. And now, not so much. Right? He's, he's, he's eaten food at the finest tables. He's, he's had the opportunity to travel and see the world. And, and now he's looking at Paul. He's, he's recognizing that Paul has, has some of the same familial roots that Demas has. I'm convinced of this. As he sees Paul there in prison, Demas is going, is this my fate? I don't think so. I don't think so. And because he fails to fully understand the promises of God, because he doesn't have healthy perspective on the difference between temporary and eternal, that lack of depth 
makes it, oh, it likely makes it easy for him to bolt in that moment. In the moment of his friend's greatest need. He deserts him. Why? Because lack of perspective was fueled from a a lack of depth. The word for depth in Scripture is the word steadfast. Titus 2 tells us that we're supposed to have a strong and steadfast belief in the trustworthy message. 1 Corinthians 15 challenges us to be steadfast and immovable. Colossians 1 tells us that we're supposed to continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast. I love what David writes in Psalm 108 when he says this, My heart is steadfast. We must be people that have depth, not easily swayed, not easily moved, rock solid, steadfast. Let nothing move you. Can I ask you a personal question today? What is it that so easily sways you? Is it, is it a relationship? Right? You, you, you will act one way around those that you know that are Christ followers and very different in the workplace. Or with unsafe family? Maybe, maybe for you it's a, it's a career path, right? You, you, have, this, you have this desire to, to accomplish. And so it's easy to rationalize the compromise a little bit. Maybe it's, maybe it's the issue of stuff. Maybe, maybe your story is different than Demas. Maybe your story is similar to mine. You, you grew up in, in significant poverty and, 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 and you have the taste of a little bit of stuff and, and you go, you know what, this is, I like this, right? I, I, I connect with Mark Twain who said this, I've been poor and I've been rich and if I had my choice, I'd rather be rich. It's real easy, isn't it? It's real easy to, to lose perspective when we have that lack of depth. Let nothing move you. Well, how do I do that? Well, there's got to be a bedrock of courage. And Demas, in this moment, he lost courage. Notice this. It says, because he loved this world, he's deserted me and he's gone. He didn't just leave Paul. He ran away. Listen to what Paul says Five verses earlier, what he writes to Timothy, I love this. I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced as Paul's writing to young Timothy, he has in his mind Demas. And there's an aspect of this that Paul was saying to Timothy, Timothy, don't fall into the same trap that Demas fell into. And here's what he tells them in 2 Timothy 4, 5. He says this, But you, Timothy, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Listen, hang tough. Tough times don't last, but tough people do. Be strong and courageous. He lost 
his courage because of the lure of the world. Where does he go back to? He goes back to the familiar. He goes back to Thessalonica. That, that pull. Do you experience it? Sure you do. Because we all do. I've experienced it. Growing up, growing up poor, um, and we were, we didn't really know that we were so poor, right? Because all the people around us were poor as well. We kind of knew. You know, I mean, I, I had friends that went to school that, you know, they had Levi's jeans. I wore JCPenney plain pocket jeans. Anybody else wore JCPenney plain pocket jeans? Yeah. Yeah, you people that grew up in Winter Park, I know you guys didn't even know what JCPenney plain pocket jeans were. Right? Anybody else? Your friends were wearing Nikes and you were wearing Keds? Super Keds, though. When I was, uh, man, when I was just starting out in adulthood, I, I, had, I had great success in the computer business and was making more money than a guy my age should have made. I was offered a great job. I tried to convince God that he needed people in corporate America. And, and God doesn't need people in corporate America, but that wasn't what he was calling me to do. Can I offer you, that was a tough tug for me. It was. Palm Sunday of 2000. I was pastoring a small church in Nebraska. We had a gentleman who started attending our church who, uh, who had significant financial resource. And uh, I was talking to him after church, and he said, I said, hey, how are things going? And he said, actually, Pastor, he goes, I've got a situation that I, I really need your counsel on. He goes, can we, can we step into your office? And I said, Sure. And uh, he said, uh, he came in and he, he said, listen, he goes, man, I, I've had a rough day. I've had a rough week. And he said, he said in fact, I've got to get, get on a plane tomorrow and fire a guy. He said, but I want to talk to you about that. He said, I believe this. I believe that the job that this guy is doing, uh, that you'd be perfect for the job. And he said, it's in San Diego. He said, but the good news is this. He says, we've got a corporate jet that leaves here every Monday and comes back every Friday. Right? So he said, you could be in San Diego Monday through Friday, and you could come back, and you could do this, you know, this pastoring thing on the weekends. I mean, you could, because pastors only work one day a week, right? And he said, uh, he said, listen, I, I, I really want to make sure that your family is well taken care of. And he said, I want you to know this job pays slightly more than half a million dollars a year. Uh, I didn't make 10% of that at that time. And I don't make anywhere near that now. And nowhere near that now. And um, 
can I tell you that when he offered me a job that paid half a million dollars a year and he said I could still do this preaching thing on the weekend, can I tell you I had to think about it for a minute? I'd love to say I immediately went, uh, no, get thee behind me, Satan. But I went, God, I can, I can have some big missions impact making a half million dollars a year. Oh, let me tell you what the job was. The job was giving money away. It was leading a foundation. Really, I could do good in the world giving money away. And I'm going to make half a million dollars a year. And by the way, get to spend the week in San Diego. You want to talk about pull. You're going to experience it. All right? This world. And again, for you, it might not be the lure of stuff. It might be the lure of experience. The lure of relationship. Right? The, the lure of reputation. The love of this world. The lure of celebrity. I'm telling you, I'm convinced that one of the one of the things that keeps the church in Orlando in Central Florida massively oppressed is the lure of Christian celebrity. The love of this world. For the love of this world, Demas abandons Paul and seemingly abandons the work of the kingdom. And some say even abandons the faith. Friend, it's so easy when you allow your perspective to be skewed because there's a lack of depth. that washes away your courage and makes the lure of the world so strong. God brought you here today. He brought you here today to encourage you. He brought you here to challenge you. He brought us here today to change us and to have us to learn from the story of Demas and go, God, let that not be our story. It's interesting that Paul refers to, just a couple verses later, he refers to one more person. And this is the thought that I, want, that I want to close with. He tells Timothy this. He says, I want you to hurry. I want you to get here. Make sure that you get here before winter. Make sure that you bring my coat. And he says this, bring John Mark with you. He is such a great help to me. Bring John Mark with you. Hmm, that's interesting. You know why that's interesting? Because in Acts 13, they are in the midst of a missionary journey. So Luke records they're in the midst of a missionary journey and they're in Pamphylia, and John Mark is with them, and he abandons them and goes back to Jerusalem. Right? It so frustrates Paul that a few chapters later, Acts 15, I think it's Acts 15, 38, 
Barnabas wants John Mark to come with them on their next trip. And Paul says, absolutely not. He abandoned us. And, 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 and Paul and Barnabas have such a heated discussion about it that they decide that they're going to go their separate ways. Paul says this, I don't want anything to do with John Mark. He abandoned us. And yet, five years later, John Mark has been restored. John Mark has been redeemed. And you're here this morning, and, and, and listen, you've got sucked in to the lure of the world, right? You've allowed your focus to be on those things that are temporary. Stuff. Relationship. Prestige. Reputation. That things. That in the end, go back in the box. That when the sun sets on your time here and you step from time into eternity, that which is left behind. And God brought you here today to introduce or reintroduce you to this man Demas as a warning. But also to remind you of the redemption that's evidenced in John Mark. And I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that today is a day of strengthening for you today. That today's a day of encouragement for you today. That today's a day of challenge for you today. That today's a day of reconciliation for you today, not just a day of warning. Because our God is in the reconciliation business. He's in the redemption business. And not only does he focus us, when we get distracted, he refocuses us. And that's what he wants to do for you today. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 1030 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.